Well, I guess now, I guess we don't need a single question. I think we could talk about the show and then talk about the things that, because also the thing that struck me was the, uh, the naivete Let's, of the main I, wh- character. We're, dis- we're discussing this. Let's just talk about the show. <laughs> Why deprive our listeners of this rich conversation? That's so true. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris, I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hello. Oh my gosh, it's been so long. A little bit of confusion uh, when I was doing the intro. Trisha's actually not in LA. Trisha, what the hell are you doing? I am tennising. I'm on vacation and enjoying New York City in my usual way for Labor Day weekend, which is tennis and some Broadway shows. I've already knocked the Broadway shows out of the park. It is now time to now focus 100% on the tennis. (laughs) Sounds great. Jason, (laughs) Jason, what city are you visiting and what interesting things are you doing? I am at home. I don't think I'm doing anything interesting at the moment. It is, you know, here we are, end of summer. School starts next week for my kids. We need to kidnap you and yeah. take you on like a wild sort of like adventure worthy of like an 80s sex drug romp. Remember in the 80s, they had <laughs> those all those. were great. Oh, they had all those. I was thinking about this the other day, right? Growing up, the amount of movies that not just excused, but like advanced and encouraged like rape and bullying is outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. Pretty, I mean, pretty in was, pink. It was, a right, it was a rite of passage for your teen years, either to be the victim of or the perpetrator of violence. It's wild. I, I might have said this on the podcast before, but there's a scene in Golden Girls where they're talking about their first times mm-hmm. uh, or, or the first time they had sex with different people. And like, Dorothy says like, oh, you know, I don't even, I was completely blacked out. You know, when I came to, I saw what's his name, putting a notch on his dashboard. Yeah. And I was like, and the audience is laughing. And I was like, I I mean, the concept today that, you know, someone is not capable of giving consent because they're under the influence. I feel like back then it was like, well, how else do you get consent? Like in every movie, that was the only way consent was ever given. Drugs. That they were drunk. The, one of the, the pivotal climaxes, no pun intended, for one of the subplots in Pretty in Pink was the fact that this girl passed out, hot girl passed out in the car and the nerd had to bang her while she was sleeping. Uh, well, and then no. They are supposed mean, to cheer. No. Yeah, you got her. He's not sleeping. He's responsibly taking her home, and that makes her somewhat hero- that makes him somewhat heroic, I guess. And then, as a favor, she well, allows him to the have- blonde girl at the end of the movie. Honey, she yes. was passed out. I know she was passed out, but he didn't have sex with her. <laughs> I mean, oh, that was- wasn't clear to me as a viewer. As a viewer, no. As no, a viewer, I was like, oh, he banged her out, and she wasn't no, even conscious for it. No, I mean, yeah, she's unconscious the whole movie, and the whole point is that. <laughs> I mean that sounds horrible, but the whole point is that she's like, "Thanks for taking care of me," you know. 
<laughs> and there you right. watch this movie this week i don't remember any of this well this, listen, this is I, it's this the is... only thing i remember from that movie <laughs> i well obviously oh my god wait am i listeners watch pretty in pink no no, no 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 oh first of all you are i think you're this Aren't they, are you confusing them? Are you talking about Pretty Pink or are you talking 16 Candles? Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now that I do remember. Sorry. Okay. 16 Candles. Molly yeah, Ringwald was involved. Ringwald. That's what I knew. Get it yes. straight. Get it straight because I was like, wait a minute. This is not my memory of 16 no, Candles. No, no, no. You're right. I'm going to cut oh, all this pretty. out because it makes me look stupid. <laughs> not endearingly so. Not really. <laughs> Only because I love you. I think I think I, I recommended this a long time ago, but Molly Ringwald rewatches Pretty in Pink and or Sixteen Candles with her daughter. Oh, what is and that? she does a podcast about it. Oh, so definitely, I'm gonna see if I can find that and link find that, that. In the notes. It was yeah. very interesting. Oh, I would love to listen to that. Yeah, it was really interesting. Sixteen it's, Candles, just you watch it. It's oh my good. There's so the the way that the Asian character. Is portrayed. Uh, all of Duck it. Dong. Uh, I mean, it's all it's bad. So bad. All bad. So bad. But also, just everyone's character. But yes, explicitly, his character is just really atrocious. But the the idea and the vision of um, adolescence that's presented in those movies. Listen, I know them all because that, for a long time I was very much into just that genre. Even midway through my 20s, that was still my favorite genre. It was teen comedy, teen romps, all of it. I've completely it, lost sight of them. Maybe they don't was, make them as much anymore. But if you well, go no, back, there's, and a new, look. there's a new breed. Uh, there's a new breed. My wife watches them on Netflix. Um, Kissing oh, Booth, right. and there's a, oh there's yeah, a whole, I guess there I'm was just, a whole subculture. But because of the way media is segmented, Trisha, you're just not exposed to it. But if you no, go to Jason's house and them. turn on his Netflix, I'm I sure all, all of those shows, right all there. of them are going to come up. Just racks thing, and racks of them. You know, what, all it's the boys I loved before. Yes, I've seen that. You know, the interesting thing is what I'm saying is that even when it wasn't targeted to me in my 20s, I found mm -hmm. them. I've basically moved away from them in some ways because mm -hmm. I don't even try to find them anymore. <laughs> I just I find the uh, I find that I find the Sturm und Drang of adolescence to be boring now. I just do. Well, I don't good, care. Good for oh, you. does he good. like me? Does he not like? Or, or it's a show where like this girl's like, I'm 16 and I'm an average girl, but the two hottest guys in the school like me. What do I do? <laughs> I can't relate. That wasn't my <laughs> wasn't my high school experience. I don't think it's anyone's. I get the fantasy is boring to me now. Well, maybe you're just too old. I'm I, wow. I mean, Thank we you. all are. No, you know, because <laughs> there, the there was age. there was there was obviously an element of some of those things that were drawing that were drawn to at certain period in our time, right? But I just want to say, so you know, Habby and I have watched all of Stranger Things up till the end of season four. We just started rewatching it with our kids. We finally let them start watching it, and so this conversation is so interesting because Stranger Things is you know a current look back at both at. at how adolescence was portrayed back then it is it is very interesting yeah well i mean i we could talk about stranger things actually because i you think you could talk about it later because i'm not we can talk it. about it later yeah that we talk about it later but i think what it does i think what people today are doing with the 80s i think is really interesting because i think it it doesn't parallel but it mirrors what people in the 80s constructed about 80s experiences based on their experience in the 60s and 70s, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I think is really interesting. So now we have people today looking at 80s movies and shows and reconstructing it 
to the point where it's like, even though I was alive in the 80s, I don't even know if this is representative of what was going on anymore. <laughs> it's a game of telephone at this point. Uh, I got to tell you, I never heard that song, Running Up That Hill. Me neither. Running Until Up That Hill by, by Kate Bush. Yeah. And everyone's like, this show's this song is 20-something years old. I was like, okay. that's." Fine. It wasn't your genre. We There is something we want to talk about, but can we just do a really quick mini topic? Really quick. I want to talk about an experience that, that Trisha and I had a couple of days ago. We went to go see MJ on Broadway, which is a Broadway show loosely, roughly, about Michael Jackson's attempt to mount the dangerous tour in the mid-90s. So amidst uh, some dramatic portions where you see him in the rehearsal room, you know, there's these amazing set pieces where they recreate Beat It, Thriller, Black and White, and all of his biggest hits. Um, we had a great time at the show. Like the, the music is, I mean, you hear any of those beats and you're like there, mm -hmm. but like Trisha and I were talking, like it was a real experience in trying to separate the art from the artist because nowhere in the show do we really discuss like the horrors of Michael Jackson. It's just a feel good sort of thing. And I was like, are we going to be remounting Woody Allen movies in like six, seven, eight years? I don't know if this is an example of things getting less horrible over time. That's all. <laughs> less horrible but i think even in the show itself the show itself was wrestling with that question separating michael from his art mm. right i mean it, it explicitly asked the question it has a it has a character ask the question out loud um and actually i think with the conclusion we came to having watched it was to some extent obviously you can take in the art you can consume the art but with as on its own but mm -hmm. only in so much as you are accessing it for your own emotional thrills. But if you then try to place the art in the context of the artist's life, which is, I think, one of the things the show tries to do, then it begs the question, who's the artist? What was going on in his life at that moment? And all yeah, how did you stuff. arrive here? How did your yeah. art arrive here? What was going on for you? For you. And because you he's start... got like three songs about the media leaving him alone two of which enter the show. And then you're like, uh, why do you need the media to leave you alone? What's yeah, I mean, <laughs> what's going on, right? And there's, there's, of course, a legitimate, like, leave people alone thing that you could take. But we now, we now know that there are lots of really dangerous ideas and dangerous actions that were taking place that necessitated that the media probably shouldn't have left you alone, mm -hmm. um, right? But it's, so, so I mean, so I think I actually think the, the the show basically makes a case for yes the fact that you can consume an artist's work, but it can be richer. It can be a richer experience if you have some understanding of what's going on in the artist's life the as you're about, consuming the work. And true, that but the thing about difficult. MJ, the thing about Michael Jackson is that uh you probably don't want the context because the music is good. But that's the music what I'm is good. The and you music, don't want the context because then you, you can't enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, you don't want the context at all. And you just, you, you know, you, you want to take it totally outside of it. And I mean, if you think about some of the other sort of tainted artists of the, you know, later, you know, R. Kelly, we also brought up when you start listening to his lyrics, if you ignore, if you are just focused on the beat and you're just dancing, but then once you start unpacking the lyrics, you can't take him out of it. That's the, the thing. And like become a little bit more dubious. So I say as an artist, try not to be so literal. <laughs> it's probably the best way for you to actually allow people to consume your art later. 
Because if you're Last too literal. Thing. Jason, sorry you couldn't participate in this. We're watching Broadway shows. Uh, but I, I, I do want to stay. Uh, I will say if it tours, this is going to sound weird, but you could take your kids to it. It's actually a lot of fun. The music's a lot of fun. Um, I, I just have to point this out because it stuck out to me because this is how conscious the people were making the show about avoiding all sorts, any sort of uh, impropriety, like thought, anything bothering you during the show. They changed the first two lines of bad because the first two lines of bad are, your butt is mine, you're not a man. Oh, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> so they had to change it and it stood out to me like a sore thumb because I've been singing the same lyrics for 40 years, right? Uh, and I was like, oh, of course they did it. You know, uh, like, of course they changed that out. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was interesting. I'll be curious to see if Louis C.K. is going to get his moment and then Woody and Bill Cosby. I mean, I'm just curious how we're going to remount. All right. But this is not what we're talking about today. People. Can Let's I just get... point out real quick, though? I mean, please. There are lots of artists. I mean, this is all very interesting to us because these are artists we've watched in real time. We consume art by people who've done and said and written Horrific terrible things. things, terrible things. And we flock, myself included, flock to art museums to see the paintings that they painted. That's like. very true. That's true. And like Trisha and I passed an article. I don't think we sent it to you, Jason, but it was about um, Broadway and about like all these masters of Broadway who we think about who've written and choreographed this stuff. Monstrous people, monstrous, broken, perverted people. Uh, locking actresses in closets, like the sexual assault, like emotional abuse. And yet, you know, people see Chicago and all that other stuff every single day. Harvey you know? Weinstein. So, his name I mean, is Harvey on so many good movies that we love to watch. Mm -hmm. it, it just, he, he, anyway. He's a part of it. He brought a lot of that to light. Anyway, let's move on. So what we really want to talk about is the new Netflix show, Uncoupled, starring Neil Patrick Harris and Tisha Campbell. In it, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is a man in his late 40s who is suddenly thrust into singledom when he finds out that his boyfriend has dumped him. So uh, it's produced by Darren Starr and has a real Sex in the City feel to it. Neil Patrick Harris, I have to say, uh, we want to talk about the themes and not necessarily review it. Um, so hopefully we won't spoil it too much, but I will say Neil Patrick Harris just shines in this. Like he just, excellent. and he's excellent. just excellent. He's, he's so comfortable. He said it's the first time he's had gay sex and been this gay on camera, which is such an achievement for him after, you know, all the work that he's done. And I, I thought the show was enjoyable and I know you two did as well. Yes. Yeah. I, was, I, yes. Yeah. I mean, I really liked it. I'll say what was the draw for you, Trish? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um i was home alone <laughs> my sister was not around that's rare for me usually i'm the one that's leaving but she left me and i was like what do you do with my time and i'm not gonna watch anything on the id channel so um and it was funny, Twist. And, right and so then i turned on my netflix and because netflix knows me Netflix, like, Uncoupled is what you should watch. It is a, There's a 95% chance that you will like this movie or this show. Because at first I thought it was a, um, a movie. Um, and I, you know what drew me in? First of all, it's just, it's, it's Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris is an actor who I have tremendous affection for. All because of Doogie Howser, to be honest. Amazing. Um, uh, Doogie Howser was such a wonderful memory in my mind that anytime I see a Neil Patrick Harris, 
I consume his content for the most part. And I have a lot of goodwill towards him as an actor. Um, he doesn't seem problematic. I haven't heard anything crazy from him. And so I, I was drawn in just by him. And then I, Tisha Campbell was in it. And I was like, what? A so it was a little bit of nostalgia to the, to the point that you were making earlier, Chris, about, you know, we are of a certain age and the writers are also our age. Neil Patrick Harris is probably my age, representing my age on a, on the Neil show. Patrick Harris is six months younger than you. Exactly. He's six, he's six months older than me. Exactly. And I basically have the same birthday. So Yeah, so he's representing that. He's representing my generation, theoretically. And I was just mm -hmm. kind of compelled to sort of say, like, what's, what, what, what is a single life in New York City going to be like? Like, you know what I mean? I just was intrigued by it. And um, I like the way I like the way the show flowed. I like the relationships he had with some of his friends. And um, and so I just kind of was I was like, I was up for it. And I watched the whole thing. And I was sad to see the season end. Like, I was like, oh, wait, I'm, what's next? Please keep going. So, um, yeah, that that was it for me is Neil Patrick Harris, the actor and also the circumstances. Jason, uh, what'd you like about it? Well, I, I feel like I, I feel bad again going back to like this and sex in the city, but there's a lot, I really like sex in the city and there's a lot about it that I like that I thought was similar. I thought I totally agree his acting. The word that comes to mind is, and I don't know of course whether this is true, but it looks effortless. Like he just looks so authentic. Yeah, and yeah. that's the same thing I thought about Sarah Jessica Parker in, in sex in the city. There's just like this comfort with this leading actor and just really compelling, you know, a character that clearly has flaws, but um, is also really interesting and, and you're very uh, sympathetic to. It felt very real. One of the comedic things I like about it, which again, I really liked about Sex and the City, you have these situations that build up and build up and build up, and then they dissipate really quickly. Um, I think about there's the, you know, he's dating that one guy and they get kind of serious really fast. And at first he's totally into it. And then he starts to get scared. And like, they're practically, they're not, but they're like practically living together. And then all of a sudden he's like, I don't know if Lever I'm ready for this. And the guy runs out. I was like, I'm taking my coffee frother. And it's like, there's so many situations like that in sex in the city where it's like this build up, build up, build up. And then it all goes to hell. Like, I mean, and I, I don't know. I just really enjoy that. I, I enjoyed it in that show, but all the acting's good. And um, it just, again, emotionally, it felt very real. You can kind of laugh at the characters. They do some ridiculous things, but you can also be like, yeah, I've, I've been that ridiculous at times. <laughs> I I love what you're saying is um I love what you're saying about the show because it's so Darren Starr's fingerprints are all yes. over it the yes. way that he does comedy and drama and it's really it's really fascinating and it's really fun the way that he can sort of like yank you back and forth I think Sex and the City probably does it better than this show but also Sex and the City had five seasons to really dive us into those characters and maybe Uncoupled will get the same treatment Everything about NPH, absolutely true. He, uh, it does seem effortless. He's been doing this since we were children, all four of us, because <laughs> we're all the same age. He's been doing this for a really, really long time. And <clears throat> it's, well, I think the question that, that sits in my mind is that like, for so many years, people are like, well, Sex in the City, you know, yeah, there's women in it, but let's be frank. Like, this is like a show about gay men. Yeah. Like, this, this is, it's more <laughs> similar to how yeah. gay men live their lives. It's like, so they should just make a gay male sex in the city. So when this arrived, I was like, oh shit, did everyone get their wish? I have to say, although there's a lot of DNA, um, it's not 
quite like that. There's not the four archetypes. Like Darren Star was smart to not remake the show and mm-hmm. bore everyone and also invited comparison to which the new show could not win, right? Um, but it was I, I with me because I was never a Sex and the City fan. You were never a Sex and the City. Very. Oh, it's always talk about that. It's sometime. very controversial. I didn't realize it. It's very controversial. We should have. We actually should have that conversation uh, 15 years later. Actually, I think that would be really interesting because I'm wondering if you're in the same place as you were, Trisha, back then. But um, more about Uncoupled, I think also the things that I loved about it. Tisha Campbell does not work enough, if you ask me. Yep. Um, Marsha Gay Harden, although she was chewing all the scenery. Oh, my just God. Eating it. All of I it. mean, <laughs> just eating it, just coming into scenes she's not even in and just, just, just posing and vibing. And you're like, oh, my gosh. But you know what I, I, I love? love? When you watch actors, like watching like Marsha Gay Harden interact with Neil Patrick Harris, I was like, this must be such a joy for the crew because yeah. here's these two titans who probably just show up, get it in one take and move about. You know what I mean? They're hope. such, they're so amazing. Anyway, the show was, the show was great. Um, and also, you know, as, as someone who's around that age, who's recently single in New York City, I have to say it's very close to home. Uh, what parts of this do you feel, what part, what parts, what themes in the show do you think were really well done? I think what's really well done is, um, Neil Patrick, Neil Patrick Harris's grief. The, um, the, 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 the going in and out of it, the grief, the rage, the sadness, the whole process I thought mm-hmm. was really, and surprisingly not annoying, right? Because the challenge when you're doing something like this is that you want the character to get on with the business of like making the, making themselves enjoyable to you. But I actually found myself really sympathetic to him and I wanted him to, to go through all the feelings of a potential breakup, right? Because it's like, usually you're watching these things, you're like, can you be done so you can start partying with your I friend? I know, right? You're Get like, through it. Get to I'm it. I'm trying to have fun. <laughs> I'm watching the show to have fun. What I'm, the hell? Are you still crying? Are you still crying? But I, I, you know, so I thought that that, the way that he was able to suggest that he goes in and out of it was really helpful to actually just even the show telling itself, telling the story. Um, I thought... I thought the the sense of um, history uh, between having someone who's been in an established relationship and their place in your friend group and your family life was really, mm. I think, accurate. Like, how mm. do you then, like, deal with them when someone has to, like, go away? I thought that that felt particularly resonant and really truthful. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think a little bit more and, maybe, and let Jason kind of answer that, too. Jason? Well, I agree. And again, I just... It was, was very real. Like there are things just as you're saying, there are moments where it's like, oh, come on, man. Like, no, you don't need to know what your ex-boyfriend's doing this weekend. Don't look at the Instagram. Don't look at the Instagram. And yet we've all been there. We know people have been there. Like it's so it was so real. And, you know, the there's the the kind of thread of like, OK, his boyfriend leaves him with very little information as to why he's leaving. And there's, you know, several episodes like I just got to know why again. Partly everyone's been there. Like you understand that. And partly it's like, no, you don't like it's a, <laughs> just like, move on with your with life relationships that people have the option to get out of the relationship and they don't have to tell you. And it's very frustrating. Like, uh, And I thought the scene when 
when he goes to uh whatever club that was and then he realizes that the the drag singer uh is was a therapist <laughs> and the therapist is basically like reads him to re- filth yeah reams him out and is just like move on and like i don't know it was just it was very real it was great like it was just it was just that was after that was very, seeing very well done after seeing that scene, I was like, is drag therapy going to become a thing yes, in New York City? Yes, I thought it should. I thought it should. <laughs> Could you imagine? Immediately, you, I was like, let's go. Let's bring You in go into an office, thing. and there's a bar set up, and the lighting is low, and there's just a drag queen be like, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> let's get started. All right, these are your main problems. <laughs> that would be so good. Exactly. Therapy, but reading you for filth. Not I- <laughs> I I the show was funny. Let's put it out there. Yeah. Um, there are some things that yeah. I was like. I mean, it, it's high camp, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I would say, as as someone who is that age of the character uh, in New York City, I think the characters, uh, the main character, Neil Patrick's character, uh, Michael. I think Michael's naivete around dating and sex. Because, like, yes, you've oh been in a relationship God. for like, <laughs> 16 years. You've been in a relationship for 16 years. But also, I mean, between the internet, TV, and your friends who are still dating, there's a lot of information available about yes, sex and how be- you're, you're not 46, 47 years old, and like sex is confusing to you <laughs> anymore <laughs> if, you, if you've been having it. Do you know what I mean? Like, when the, he, there's That's a scene true. where he, it's some, uh, you know, it's the scene. It's the thing we all want to happen, but never happens in real life. Yeah, you're coming out of the supermarket and you bump <laughs> bags with someone else, and all your oranges go out of the place. Great. And of course, they're hot, so of course you have to do it. And the guy's like, "Let's not use condoms." He's like, "What? People are not using condoms, honey, honey." You know, it's true. It's supposed to be because there's a generation of us. There's a yeah, generation of us. I'm that generation. I have never done it without a condom but and like in rare cases maybe i understand that but <laughs> a part my generation also uh understands prep and although prep hello yep. if you're listening this prep does not prevent all the stis but like the anxiety and he actually talks about this show he's like doesn't prevent herpes doesn't prevent all these other things the his anxiety around that felt very laughable and it it was those moments i was like this is for straight people well i was oh, just gonna say yeah. Was it I was for straight just, people? Because yeah. there's a part of it that it wasn't was, for me. It wasn't for you. But if you understood his character, I think that's a really good distinction. The, the character says he entered relationships so he could avoid all the tropes that people as, ascribe to gay men, which is ease with a bunch of sexual contact, all those kind of stuff. Like, so the fact so that he was surprised by the introduction of it is not authentic. If that, if you know what I'm saying, like, but that, yeah, that part of it is not. But I think it holds that part of the surprise that other people are doing it because, in observation, obviously, if you're taking in information, you should know how other people are living. But his surprise that it was he was confronted with having to make the choice that quickly and that easily. There's a part of me that was like, yeah, it does seem a little bit like, wait, should we have a conversation? Because that's what he said. Should we be having a dialogue? And the guy's like, stick it in. Jason, what were you going to say? <laughs> well, I was just going to, I mean, my impression and, uh, you know, easy for me to say, I don't know. I've never lived in New York and I'm not gay, but I did feel, and I don't, I don't think this is a critique, but I did feel like the show was doing certain things to make it. I don't know if it's palatable or relatable, but I, I felt like for lack of a better term, welcomed in, you know what I mean? Like I felt like there were some cliff notes in there. Um, and, and I felt like, 
this, you know, this is a very cis character. He's been in a lot, like very relatable to a straight person, right? Mm -hmm. I guess that that's the way to say it. I mean, he's been living a very conventional monogamous yeah, life, for sure. happens for to sure. be gay. And again, I don't think that's a critique, but I do think, and, and maybe this is even a, you know, the, a, a positive thing, but I felt like this show was easier for someone like me to enter into than it could have been. There are plenty of other ways similar stories could have been told that would mm -hmm. have been less uh, accessible or uh, less interesting or um, enjoyable for someone like me or someone like my wife. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't I that in some sense a little bit about who you choose to um, make the lead, right? It's the same reason why Darren Star led with Sarah Jessica Parker, right? In some ways, she was theoretically supposed to be the most relatable character because she's the most sort of even-handed. Whereas, you know, if you wanted to lead in with Samantha, for example. I mean, yep. listen, Jason said realistic quite a few times. I want to just put some context on the realism. I think there's some emotional realism because let's be honest, these apartments that they're living in are sick. And, but you know what? Well, Most like Sex in the City was sick in terms of its luxury and the lifestyle it promised easily for single women. Unless right. I mean, unless you were a VP or a president, you are not living that life I, theoretically in terms of Can, the ways. That but you're let's talk about gender. <laughs> let's talk about gender because you you make a point. Single women in the '90s, Sex in the City, the kinds of lives that they were leading. They would like, have had to be business. It's people. interesting. This show, the way that it the way that it lays out, like the three main gay characters were told their jobs, and they are high paying jobs. Very high paying jobs. They're yeah. very high paying jobs. So like it it kind of makes sense. Jason and Kaipo. That, that the one thing I found slightly annoying about this show, but again, I probably enjoy it as much as I find it annoying, was the same thing with Sex in the City, which is like you hear characters complaining about money problems. And then they're going to like the most expensive restaurants and clubs and wearing the most. And it's kind of like, oh, oh, my goodness. Shut up. Like, because oh, you, that's the, I think Darren Star understands his audience like that push and pull, because that's the emotional realism. Right. Yes. You at home, you're also concerned about money. But also let's be. But you also want wealth porn. So, man, right. I'm going to give it to that's you. That's exactly right. It's yeah. a balance between enough fantasy that I'm glued to the glued to it. But then mm -hmm. enough like. Oh, but I can relate to this person because like, exactly. they don't know how they're going to pay rent next Because month. you don't want beautiful, rich people without problems. We can't relate to that. Right. But also, let's be frank. Yes, you complain about money too, but you also attack luxury in certain aspects. Like you are going out to eat in places where you probably shouldn't have. You should probably do like your mama and your daddy say, go fix your food at home. But you do want access to certain experiences. And so it is interesting to see that's a real push-pull. The experiences are definitely, I mean, the ski chalet experience. Oh, all I right. I about that. <laughs> I mean, okay. I keep thinking about that. I was like, wow, like that. <laughs> I, I feel like Darren Starr has a particular view of the world in New yep. York City. And he's a real P.T. Barnum in the way that he knows <laughs> what people want to see. Yeah, and he will excite and throw and force you to lean in with the sort of ridiculousness of what's going on. Like he's really smart about that. And it's, it's very well constructed. And I can see some of the seams because I, I was a sex in the city fan. Uh, I think it's, I just think it's really pulled off well here. And the only the other, only other critique I'll just repeat is that, I mean, thinking about what you said before, Trisha, it's like, yes, this character has been in a relationship for a long time and he got into it to avoid some of the stuff. For me, that scene with the grocery guy 
seem the most unrealistic. It's because of the main character's sort of shock and horror that he'd be asked to have sex without a condom as opposed to just saying like, and of course it's a TV show, not a documentary, but like just the fact that he was asked and he's like, oh my God, I couldn't, I mean, that's, that it was just so outlandish. But other than that, I thought some of the things that they really hit on, the one thing I wish they had done more of was Sex and the City did a really great job of really defining and the, the friendships between the main characters. I didn't really feel that until the last Last episode. episode. It the got last, uh, real, the last episode. The last which two I, to three. Episodes, yeah, which I, I really think. wish. Because I, I think, think that's rich. I think that's, you're right. I think because that's what made it sort of felt a little bit light, light and, and comedic in a weird, in a weird way. Um, but then towards the end of the, 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 the season, I did think that they started to sort of dive into, because I was curious about his relationship with the, the, the primary folks that we were meeting exactly like, why are you here with these people how did you even connect with them i mean i'm super curious about how their friendship sprung up because yeah. you know they they I, seem different i i don't need so much of the history as much as i needed the present so mm-hmm. like even at the wedding when they were all being so supportive of each other mm-hmm. you know like so and so one of the characters has a medical issue the other character like really wants to be there for for them uh I understood that sort of because I was told they were friends. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen that evolution because it seemed to me like, you know, the black guy, no one really took him very seriously. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I just, I would have preferred, a, I just wanted a little bit more of that content because Darren Starr is really good at it. So I don't know if he left it out of this season. I don't know if it's on the cutting room floor, if he's saving it for season two, but like the, the outside characters, other than, oh, Tisha Campbell did have a subplot, but the outside characters have subplots. It's just that they are, Michael is absolutely the main character of the show. In the way that Sarah Jessica, Carrie is the main character of Sex and City, but those other three women, like if they weren't in an episode, you'd be like, what's going on? This one, you could have not had those people in an episode. It would have been okay, which I don't know if I liked. I prefer ensemble comedies. That's what I'm saying. But I think mm-hmm. it's not an ensemble comedy, right? That's what, I, that's what I'm yeah, saying. It's, yeah, not, it's not, but I would prefer not. that. Yeah, prefer that. Like, I think it's um, because that's, I think, a tension between the realism of the relationships Mm -hmm. in terms of you getting to know his friends, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like getting to know who he is through his friends or just separately his friends. And I think it's almost as if the writers realize midway through, wait a minute, we dropped the ball on fleshing out some of these characters some more. (laughs) Well, and then they started to get more flesh. I can't say this with certainty. I'd have to go back and look, but I think Sex and the City evolved totally in this way too. The first season was it like was Jessica, Sarah Jessica Parker was a student of sex in the city. I mean, like it wasn't the relationships between the characters. I don't feel like it started out by the you know it was third the season. Second season. It was the middle of the second season. They got it. Got the, it. The, they figured they out what they were doing. Then, yeah, their friendships. They were like, that was the whole thing was how much they loved each other and how much they supported each other through all kinds of trials and tribulations. But that's not how that show started either. No, that's true. I mean, I'll never forget the scene in Sex in the City when Miranda's giving birth and like is holding Carrie's hand and they're like staring each other's eyes as the baby comes out. That was just really, it. it that scene told an entire story about those women. Uh, and I appreciate that kind of depth amidst the comedy. Star's so good at that. But I don't know. Maybe we'll see more of that in season two if this returns for season two. But I think it was well received, so it might. I want to see more. I was curious about that. Do you know what, see more what it was women. like, Chris? Uh, in terms of n- the critical reception, because remember how you remember the critical reception that Sex and the City received from like 
from a gendered perspective, women. Mm-hmm. How did how um sadly you're gonna have to take the ball on this one as the gay man of the podcast. How has how has it been perceived in some ways in in the gay community? Because it you know it purports to be about that, right? Um, honestly, I haven't talked too much about my to my gay friends about it. I don't know if too many people have seen it. I just found it, you know. So I maybe yeah. Others and I it. and I didn't see. I'll tell you the truth. I found out about the show because it was advertised on Grinder, which was really smart because yeah. Grinder is a big part of the show. Yep. So I was. It was at the top of Grinder. There was like uncoupled party. This, I was like, what's uncoupled? And I was like, oh. And then I went to Netflix. Right. So congratulations you bought the ad space and it worked um i don't know i'm i will i will follow up on that and see how people thought about it i just thought it was it was so it was a bit of fluff Mm -hmm. um and like you said there was some emotional realness in there and and yeah we'll see i just learned that it is getting a second season so i'm really looking i'm really looking forward i really want to see more tisha campbell i really want to see more marcia gay harden I just think also, you're so great. Also, the boyfriend, Neil Patrick Harris' boyfriend, I remember him from playing a villain on One Life to Live. Oh and my it's God. just been really wonderful to see that actor because I know also I think the actor is also gay. And I just think it's been really great to see him also play gay characters. Yeah. Right? Like, and he's, and he's played quite a few. But to play one like on Netflix and, and, and in this way is also great. I've grown up with that villainous bastard. <laughs> <laughs> he was great too, by the way. He in was the wonderful. Show. I thought he was he great. Was, he was great. not a villain boyfriend. I don't think he was given enough to do, but I you- am I am interested in it's funny because uh it's not quite because it's not a first person show, but I do like the unreliable narrator things that are introduced <laughs> in, in the scenes with Michael and Colin. You know, and Colin's like, yeah, everything's about you. You never give everyone a chance to talk. And in those scenes, you see it and you're like, oh, shit. Should Michael have been broken up with? I I, I, yes. I like that duality. I like that because you're like, wow, he does seem like a bit of a asshole. He seems like a bit. You know what? And this is the character that Darren Star loves. He's a bit of a carry. Yes. He, yes. Self-involved. Totally. Like self-obsessed. You know, uh, just it's interesting to me. Anyway. All right, so that was fun. Uh, that is our collective recommendation. So everyone go see that. But now we have more. We have individual expect uh, individual recommendations. So let's turn to that right now. Something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Jason, why don't you go first? I may be late to this discovery, but I've recently you usually discovered. are. <laughs> I usually am. I'm usually very late. I saw Hamilton last week. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've recently discovered Joe Coy, Filipino American uh, comedian, and I've been watching some of his segments. And he's got this segment about how his mother doesn't help him find things. And there's a segment about how he's lost his keys, he's late for work, and he asks his mom if she knows where his keys are. And her response is just fantastic. And him imitating her imitating him asking people where his keys are rather than looking for them it is just just brilliant excellent hilarious i played it for both my kids and fortunately my son took no time at all to see that this was about him looking for things with your mouth and not with your eyes uh, oh it was so good so good that's awesome uh Trisha. Oh my gosh, I can't. Um, I she can't, can't look around her room because she's not oh, in her. 
She's like, no, I'm like everything is. You know, I know Chris's thing is his pet peeve is do not tell people about something live. Tell them about live theater, honey. Come on, people can't. All right, you know what? It better be something that's going on tour, though. Um. Oh well, you know what? Actually, I will say, um, this person is going on tour. Before I left LA, I was doing a lot of live um shows, and I will say, Boys to Men is on tour. And let me just say, if we want to revisit our childhood and our teen years, do it. It was such an enjoyable concert. It was Boys to Men and TLC. And I had... TC. Yeah, TC. No L, but do what we can. But I had a blast at the Boys to Men show because so many of the things they had were bops and I just was like brought all the way back and started singing everything um, and it was very um, and I also just wanted to say I experienced my very first Diana Ross show and that woman had hits and you know what she she has arranged the concert in such a way and I believe she's also on tour she's just come back from Europe and I think she's probably going to come in the United States but I just want to say she does the thing that I think we all want artists who've had long careers to do which is do their hits hello do their hits right but she she like puts them in blocks she does block of hits maybe a new song block of hits new song block of hits you know what I mean? like, mm-hmm. so she like spoon feeds you the things that she's just done but also gives you what you came there for so that's been my um but if not if not if you can't see either of those you know what? Take a look around and find a nostalgia artist that is touring and go give them some money. Go show them some love. They've been so grateful. I have to say people get when people get up on stage, but we're of that age now, honestly, Chris and Mm -hmm. um, Jason, they get up on stage. You have loved me for 30 plus years. I was like, okay, yeah, we are that right now. (laughs) It's crazy because you grow up with people. That's how I felt watching the MJ show is that like every time a beat would start, it would immediately throw me back to sixth grade or eighth grade or like third grade. And and, and it's, it's, I think that's why those things are so successful. I think that's why these shows continue to sell out. Nostalgia is huge. Can I, um, in that vein, my, I, my, my daughter and my, and my two stepdaughters, they discovered the song poison by Belle Biv DeVoe. And so (laughs) they play it. I know it's inappropriate, but they play it all the time. So I get all into it. Right. And I'm like, Okay, let me tell you about New Edition. Let me tell you about uh, <laughs> Belle Biv Let me tell you about Ralph Tresvant. Let me tell you about Boys to Men. And they're like, can we listen to Poison again? I have like no interest whatsoever. In I have like this whole... I'm like, listen, let's listen to Candy Girl. I used to roller skate to that when I was nine years old. They're like, this is terrible. Let's listen to Poison. Oh my God. You know, you're that person now. Like that you're you're now. that person that we used to see in TV shows that would drone on about the, the things they and, would do when they were And they're like, Dad. <laughs> I had this record on vinyl. I don't want, you know what's so funny? All you music is know, so. don't know real music. All music is so toxic. Like I keep thinking, not me jumping on my bed at eight years old, screaming at the top of my lungs, relax, don't do it when you want to come. Like it's just, all music is toxic. And like BB, uh, Belbeth DeVoe, do me. Well, then yes. do me comes on. I'm like, turn it off. That's over the line. Let me remind you of one of the, one of the lyrics from do me backstage underage adolescent how you doing fine she replied i sighed i like to do the wild thing action took place kind of wet don't forget the j the i the m the m the y y'all i need a body bag safe so, sex. safe sex safe sex safe sex with a child that's the <laughs> no. i mean okay. 
okay so i so yeah i'm glad that the the underage adolescent won't be getting diseases i mean listen this problematic is this yeah. is the thing our it's amazing how much we belt out inappropriate lyrics at various points in time in our and going did we ever listen to lyrics or were we just really always distracted by the beat like the lyrics never made sense in my mind like and and that's the thing that's you know one of the things that you we talk about that like it's like we're singing things we don't understand i mean and then at some point in time as an adult we look back and we're like what the heck were we singing but were you aware when you were singing about what you were singing me i kept i remember singing that frankie goes to hollywood song thinking why should i relax when i want to go over to a friend's house like i thought well, relax when you want to come i thought come over so i was like maybe the friend is too uptight but then i was like wait don't do it don't do what but i you know i still belted it out it's so strange <laughs> only because we're old yeah. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. We were chatting, but we're in the middle of recommendations. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I want to recommend. Why don't you choose? So I can either recommend a documentary that filled me with nostalgia uh-huh. or a TV show, which was really, really funny. TV. Why don't you well, just we... do both? Why don't you just do both? No, because then I can save one for next week. Uh. Well, you, we, just, <laughs> we just spend time on a TV show. So you should okay. do that. There you go. Uh, okay, that's fair. So there is a... I saw this on Netflix. I don't know if it's a Netflix thing, but there is a documentary I saw on Netflix called Perfect Bid, The Contestant Who Knew Too Much. This mm. is a film about this guy named Ted who was a super fan of The Price is Right. Mm. He became fascinated with the show and uh, it drove him to make, I don't know what they called spreadsheets before they were spreadsheets, just I maybe rose on graph paper, but he kept track of all the prizes and how much they cost to the point where he memorized um, all the prices. And he got on the show uh, a couple of times and it's just charting his journey. The story itself is, it's a, it's a very zoomed in story about a single person's experience. Mm-hmm. So like whether or not it's interesting, that wasn't the point. I grew up watching Prices Right and watching all the archival footage and watching Bob them talk Barker, to Bob, Mark, Bob, Barker, Bob Barker and watch them talk about the different show, the different games and how it comes together. Uh, and how you get on the show. For me, I thought it was just a lot of fun. I always thought Price is Right was super exciting. And the idea that there was someone out there who like could perfectly guess the prices was so great. But like they they would show footage of the show. Like he's often in the audience because he tried to get on the show dozens of times. And people would turn and look him during the showcase and be like, is this the right? Is this the right price? And he would be, he would get it every single time. And Bob would say, Ted, Ted, we see you. Like it was, oh, oh man, yeah, that's cool. That's he was known to the production, right? But it was a casino that they're like, remember, you can only be here for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So like, if you remember Price is Right, if you remember it fondly, the Bob Barker era, I would check it out. Again, it's the contestant who knew too much. Oh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, check it out. Now that's us. Trisha, you have some tennis to get to. Jason, what are you doing? Uh, I'm working today. I have, I, I have nothing. You know what? Labor Day weekend, I'm looking forward to it. I have no plans. And I'm, and I'm happy about it. Wait, well, you know what? as a parent, Enjoy. aren't you supposed to do things with your They're children? They're with their mom this weekend. Oh, look Taking at you. Work. Look at you. Work. You do know what? whatever you want then. This is the arrangement that parents should have. <laughs> I, know, I know you miss your kids. Like, I know you miss your kids. You're not with them. But, like, just think about, like, having 
time off from them. That's the <laughs> only way I could parent. They're like, this was this was fun. This was fun, but it's Friday morning, so I'll see you next week. I'm, I'm making a correction. Okay, audience, I, I wanted to say that I think one of our previous episodes, I recommended Nope. I went to see oh, that's right. Nope. Did not enjoy Nope. However, I think Nope requires pre-reads and really having a deep dive appreciation for the industry in a way that I no longer do. Okay. So it's that Wait, I'm going to interrupt you right there because uh, I'm going to suggest that we talk about this to some detail. Okay. I'm very curious because Did I think you see it? I have not seen it, but I kind of want to, you but uh, it. it's interesting. Probably- some of the stuff that's being written about it and the way that people are really enjoying it and it's creating its own genre, I think is interesting because I know you did not like it. So I really want to drive, uh, dive deeper into it. So yeah. I will try to see next it. Time. You two try to see it because I completely was bored by it, wow. but, but people are like writing, as you say, essays. So well, listen, I think the question to ask is, is um, what's his name? Is Jordan Peele the next M. Night Shyamalan No, it's not quite that. Well, 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 hold on. That's the question we leave people with. Okay. Honey, because on oh, that guys. note. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.